Yo, yo, what's going on? It's Hella Black, episode 108. On this episode, we sit down with Jaleel Mutakin, and we talk about the history of Black August. We also talk about the international tribunal that's charging genocide against the so-called United States, and we also talk about the new African independence movement. Make sure you subscribe right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and don't forget to tap in with our Patreon where we got a whole bunch of other content and exclusive extended episodes. Patreon.com slash Pod. Tap in. Get into it, Hello Black, episode 108, you know what I mean, Black August, here rocking, uh, somebody call it the people's house, as uh, Delancey calls it, it's uh, Camp Muta King, <laughs> <Yes, sir. laughs> where you'll get your mind right, you know what I'm saying, we ain't roasting no marshmallows, but we get our mind, camp, yeah. body, and soul right, you know what I'm saying. We can, we can, we can, we can, we can, we can roast marshmallows, yeah, yeah we can roast some, roast some marshmallows, you know what I mean, at some point in time, I don't know. <laughs> That's an idea. This is a full circle moment. It is. It is. I remember our first, our first uh, hella, hella black uh, podcast. You know, I was talking about uh, free your mind and your ass will follow. That's what you we're know? doing up here, training the mind, so our ass gonna follow. Yeah. Well, listen. You know, <laughs> we got there's a path, and the, and the path has been blazed by many giants before us. So, the only thing we're doing is following that path. You know, uh, trying to put some bricks on that road that. This, this red and white, right, red, white, and black uh, road, uh, brick roads, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you think about where we are, you know, in Douglastown, people might, you know, have to do some research to figure out exactly where that is. But you know, we in Douglastown, long history of uh, abolition. That's right. That's right. He was one of the great abolitionists uh, uh, in the United States. You know, he really set the map in terms of what it means to be an abolitionist and what it, what the word actually really, really determines that. You know, for for us in regards to abolitionism, I think we have to take it into the 21st century. You know, we have to abolish a lot of stuff. Now, not only just the issues of slavery, and not saying that slavery has been abolished by uh, that great abolitionist uh, or and his participation in it, contribution towards it, but uh, uh, because we know that slavery still exists, particularly in, in the penal system. So, uh, for us, um, in terms of the issues of abolitionists or being abolitionists. Right, our our goal is to abolish everything that is anti-black, you know, it's anti-people of color, anything that creates a situation uh, or an environment that is uh, in opposition to our own prosperity and survival. You know, living in this particular country, in this country, uh, so uh, yes, the tradition has been laid. You know, the 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 history is well established. You know what it means to be an abolitionist. And uh, what we have to do is, like I say, we stand on those shoulders. Uh, we have to build that red, black, and green road, uh, brick. You know, um, you know, it's not it's not the yellow brick road to to Oz, but it is the red, black, and green road uh, to uh, to liberation and freedom. Well, you know, it's Roger New Africa. Yes, sir. That's right, New Africa, bro. Well, you know, you were. Very distinguished guest, second time on. There's not too many people who come on Hello Black two times in the span you came on. It's like ten episodes or so. It don't feel, yeah. <laughs> it don't feel like ten episodes ago. It don't feel like ten episodes. It don't even feel like the second time. But that's because we've been in here for you know eight eight or so days. Every day feel like a podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> for real, we, we've been sitting at the dinner table, yeah, chopping game, learning. But I think back to um, was that last summer when you was doing the video. Um, Calling for his release, yeah, yeah. So for that us, protest, yeah. And so to go from there to doing the um, 
free your mind and your ass to follow to being able to be at be at you know camp camp Jalil yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah camp Jalil <laughs> <laughs> camp Lutakim we, we building that's wake I up never wake did. up make eggs do pushups yeah <laughs> it's some it's some real building in here going on and yeah so the thing and that was probably like fourteen months ago because I think that was what June or July yeah, it was June yeah, yeah. it was June yeah. 14, 14 months later we we in here we're here rocking recorded episode one hundred eight eating good living good yeah well we we do the best we can. Under the system of oppression in which we are fighting against, you know, we got to make the best of, of our situation in order for us to, we have to stay healthy, you know, in order so that we can provide uh, the nourishment that our movement needs, you know, so it's all part of the process, you know. Our sister, uh, uh, Sophia Bukhari, she wrote a book, uh, uh, The War Before, and in that book she made explicitly clear the necessity of the need for uh, revolutionaries to take time for him for self-reflection and for healing, you know, uh, that if we don't do that, then ultimately we'll burn out, you know. And so uh, we have to recognize that this is a um, uh, a marathon. This is not a sprint. And if we understand that in terms of our struggle, then we know that uh, uh, self-healing is all part of the process. It is part of the revolutionary process. And one of the reasons why it's part of the revolutionary process is because uh, we have been traumatized, you know. The system traumatizes black people. It traumatizes people of color, you know. It is designed to traumatize, you know. And so for us, the, the our struggle for liberation is healing. It's a healing process, you know. And it's a way for us to uh, render ourselves free of the kind of traumatization that we have to encounter on a daily basis, whether you go into the grocery store or department store and you're being followed, you know, uh, just because you're black. Right or you have to concern yourself when a police car passes by, you know whether or not he's going to stop and search you. You know these are little dynamics that accumulatively, you know, creates the psychological uh, uh, issues of, of traumatization. You know, and uh, that doesn't go to the issues of what's going on in the community itself. You know, these are some of the smaller things that are accumulative of going to own trauma. Uh, and dealing with the issues of white supremacy, you know, and racism, institutional racism in this country. Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, we do have to take time for uh, the process of reflecting and understanding our strengths and our weaknesses in order for us to uh, uh, continue, you know, continue to struggle. Yeah, hey, that, that's something that I know me and me and B have been trying to ground um, ourselves in. Yeah, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I don't know, you, just, you get so caught up in the work, um, and another OG of ours, uh, in addition to yourself, that be giving us a lot of game, is is left. Um, and he he told me to treat myself like I treat the people in terms of taking care of myself. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that's something that I've definitely tried to ground myself in. So to hear you say that, it's a, a necessary reminder. Mm. Yeah, that, that was smart though. Treat yourself as you treat the people. You ain't gonna treat yourself bad, all right? You can't treat the people bad. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling that energy. That's right. So we here with Black August. It's yeah. a special, special yeah. time. Yeah, uh, monumental time. But you know, can you dive into the meaning of Black August? I feel like there's so many uh, articles on Black August. You know, from people who don't know the true history, like how you know the real history. Mm. And even um, yeah, I was gonna say even with, with our pod, you know, the one that we did was this last episode? no two episodes. We did a ago? couple episodes. Yeah, well, we touched on on Black August, um, and I asked you if. We misinterpreted it, and you said not misinterpreted, but we might have did a reduction by not, you know, mentioning the BGF. And so we definitely want to 
while we touched on the way, well, I guess we mentioned the BGF because we mentioned Qatari, we mentioned George. Sure. So really being sure. able to be precise right. with our analysis and right. our history for the listener. So if you listened to 106, you know, we gave y'all um, some of the history, but, you know, we missed some key elements in now Jaleel. Yeah, one of, one of the key elements in terms of uh, Black August is how it evolved. Um, as you well know, um, one of the significant aspects of it is that it's in commemoration of uh, the uh, the heroic efforts of Jonathan Jackson to try to free his brother on August 1st, 1970. The man-child. The man-child, that's right, the man-child. That's what he called him. And uh, what George called his brother, or referred to his brother as the man-child, uh, making that heroic effort to uh, in the Marin County Courthouse uh, to free William McLean, James, uh, excuse me, William Christmas and James McLean, and also uh, who came along was uh, Rochelle McGee. Uh, and uh, the tragic uh, ending of that. Although Rochelle survived, he's still in prison today. You know, he's been in prison for almost for about 58 years as a result of uh, that, that particular incident and he's still fighting to, to free Rochelle McGee. Uh, but also, uh, Black August commemorates uh, Comrade George, you know, and his assassination, his, his murder on August 21st, 1970, 1971. Uh, but more, and, and just as importantly, it commemorates the, the death of Jeffrey Katari Golden, right? And Mr. Golden, or Brother Golden, or Comrade Golden, he was, um, some say, and you know, some confirm that he was the leader of the Black Gorilla family, you know, that he inherited that position uh, as the leader of the Black Gorilla family. And so after his death, after the, the CDC, uh, San Quentin, allowed him to bleed out, right, in the San Quentin uh, Adjustment Center yard, he had hit his head. What happened was he, he had, um, we were playing a little game of football uh, or passing the ball, and he tripped and fell and hit his head on concrete. And uh, in order, and before they were allowed to get his body out of the yard, he bled out. And uh, that was kind of devastating for everybody, uh, knowing that this young this young brother who was staunch, a staunch uh, supporter of black people and, um, and building uh, in defense of black people, particularly in the prison system that was, uh, uh, California prison system was, uh, had to confront uh, uh, Aryan nations, uh, Aryan Brotherhood, uh, various other gang organizations, the Mexican Mafia, and, and et cetera, who are, for the most part, at that time, uh, particularly uh, uh, the Mexicans, those Mexicans that was there, Chicanos, uh, was in, in, in alliance with, um, with the Aryan Brotherhood, you know, in certain instances. And it was, and so it was necessary, it was ne- out of necessity uh, that, the, and also the, the guards, right, or white supremacists. So it was out of necessity that the, this organization called the Black Guerrilla Family came into existence in defense of their own selves, in defense of uh, black people, you know, in that kind of um, environment. And so uh, the loss of, uh, of uh, Brother Qatari uh, was, was rather devastating uh, for uh, BGF. And that's when they decided they had they needed to to commemorate, right? Um, his death, Comrade George, uh, and and Comrade uh, Jonathan, and and so doing, they looked at the the month of August and saw all the other things that happened in August uh, uh, in history of Black resistance, and so uh, Black August is is basically that it is commemorating uh, Black resistance in the United States, and and for many of those who did not know. Uh, Black August has been going on for 50 years, you know. So now it is a tradition, and it's a tradition that we have to honor in the history of Black of Black resistance in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, over this 
I, I would say I've heard about it, but this was this was the um, the first year that I really dove into it and committed to you know the fasting, committed to exercising daily, committed to increasing my reading and my studying, and then increasing my organizing. Um, Freeing that drink too. Yeah. Man. Oh you yeah, I forgot. Mean? I ain't had alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> The most menial of the of the <laughs> of the sacrifices, you know, no liquor. But it's um what we tried to preach on our on episode one hundred six. We really want to take wanted folks to take away from it was mm-hmm. the importance of organizing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, falling through on the commitment. Yeah, falling through on your tasks. You know what I mean. The other and stuff really... can be kind of performative. You know, like the not the not drinking, the the fasting. But like, if I'm what am I doing in addition to those things? Because that's just t- ten hours out of the day. I'm not allowed to have food, or you know, from sunup to sundown, I'm not allowed to have food. 31 days and I'm not allowed to have no liquor but what did I really do in the name of black resistance sure you know what I'm saying sure but also discipline discipline you know, for sure that is that is the idea that you take this month and not only reflect upon uh, the, uh, the history of black resistance but you discipline yourself you know, you test yourself and understanding that uh, what you're doing is not in as much as is purifying. When we talked about healing just a few minutes ago, right? That's part of the process, you know, uh, that we are taking the time to really reflect on uh, who we are and what is our positions in regards to the conditions of our people. Right? And by doing so, taking that kind of uh, deep introspection, uh, then we'll be able to really uh, uh, solidify. Right for uh, ourselves, internalizing for ourselves that we are, at least in part, are revolutionaries. Right, we're moving towards and evolving towards becoming revolutionaries, and that that is the course. That is what Black Resistance is. You know, is uh, building and organizing and uh, forging a movement, uh, a revolutionary movement. Yeah, that discipline is so important. I feel like discipline. Um gets kind of like I guess for lack of better words a bad rap because when you think of discipline it means like you're losing yeah. something but I found so much or more or people think <laughs> like, about it as like yeah. a classroom oh you're getting disciplined in the class yeah. or, you know you're acting up at home and your mom disciplining you but not having that that internal discipline that discipline for, for revolution organizing you know means you're going to maintain yeah. discipline don't necessarily be punishment yeah. <laughs> and it don't mean the loss of anything either yeah. it really like for me I feel like I've, I've gained a new focus a new okay. understanding uh, and developed in home craft and, and skills, you know? Sure, sure, sure. So, yeah, so we appreciate uh I was fortunate enough when I have been out, uh, since I've been out for the last 10 months, uh, that I was able to introduce Black August here in Rochester. Uh, it was the first time they have an opportunity to celebrate. And I ran into some very good, very good uh, uh, activists here in Rochester. Uh, many of them belong to FTP, uh, Free the People, uh, organization called uh, Citizens for initiative, Citizen for Initiative Justice, I think it is. Um, uh, Urban League, I also support it here. Um, we have um, Citizen Action Organization that hired me when I got out of prison. Uh, we have, uh, um, what's another organization? I mean, I got it written down here. Let me see if I can find them. So I don't want to miss any of them. That, that would be improper. Um, healthcare Education, that's the union. That's uh, uh, 1199 joined in this, um, the Black Agenda Group also joined in this, and um, Vocal Vocal New York, the Rochester chapter of Vocal New York, uh, also supported um, the work that we're doing for Black August. And so uh, our first Black August, we did a showing of Comrade George's uh, uh, story, and I did- That was the beginning of this month? That was on the first day of, of, of August. Y'all kicked uh, it off right there, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. That's the only way you can start Black August. If you don't talk about Comrade George in the first and, and and that whole dynamic on the first day of, uh, of August, or at least the first uh, event 
for the month of August, and you have really missed uh, uh, what Black August uh, comes from and where, where it evolves from, and uh, that kind of level of resistance, you know. And so, uh, yeah, we did. We started off with um, a showing of, of uh, a story about Comrade George, and I gave a presentation uh, on that, and allowed the the various uh, sponsoring organizations to also make presentations. Because it's important for the, the people to see that we are building collective. We're building organization. We're building unity and uniformity. You'll hear me say that often, right? That in terms of our growth and our development uh, of, of, of resistance, that is extremely important that we have unity and uniformity uh, in the language in which we use in regards to our, our struggle. Uh, we've also, um, we was going to have an art show. Unfortunately, we had to, uh, to cancel that. Because uh, the person I wanted to showcase uh, had conflicting uh, um, uh, scheduling, uh, conflicts in, a, in our schedule. Uh, but we did organize uh, or are organizing a, a block party for the community. Uh, we're doing a uh, field uh, field day where we're going to be passing out, I think, uh, as much as 1,000 food packages and book bags uh, for the young people. Right, which is very good. There's a guy here in Rochester by the name of Anthony Hall, and I got to give him a shout out because he he allowed us to use his platform uh, to uh, push uh, Black August, and so he he deserves another. He's been doing this book back in this uh, this um, field day uh, for several years now, you know. So I'm fortunate to have met him, met this young man, met this brother, and uh, and explained to him what Black August is about, and he said, "Yeah, man, come on, bring it," you know. And, uh, and then we're going to also have uh, what we call um, uh, a day of... Um, uh, the Heal the Hood? Yeah, Heal, heal, yeah, heal, heal the Good Hood? Heal, heal for, <laughs> healing for a Good Hood. Yeah, that's what it is. Healing for a Good Hood. And uh, in that, we will have some yoga, we have some reiki, we have some martial arts, uh, and uh, meditation. And the reason why is because our, our community has been so traumatized uh, by racial violence and also inter- internizing uh, uh, struggles that goes on in our community with these street gangs, uh, and uh, no, and no, without a doubt, because of police uh, um, terrorism tactics in, in our community, and so they have been so so terrorized that we have to take a time, right, to really reflect on that and and look for the ideas of how do we deal with this trauma, and so we bring you know, those individuals and those organizations who who are you know professionals. Uh, in that particular area in the community, bring them together, bring the community together, and let's talk about it. Let's do some of this, some of the things that try to uplift the spirit, you know, and deal with the psychological trauma that we have. Of course, not one day it's going to deal with it, but at least it, it gives us the opportunity to have a pause, you know. Start building some of those tools, you know what I mean? mean? The foundation, yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what we're doing for Black Arcus here in Rochester. Um, you also gave your first uh, public uh, speaking engagement too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yo, yo, <laughs> yo, I'm not. A, I'm not a public speaker. You know what I mean? I got. I got a little stutter, and uh, so I'm. I got that too. Don't trip. Yeah, don't trip. Okay. Well, don't listen, trip. man. You know, it, it is. It is what it is. But uh, yeah, I did my first uh, major public speaking event, and uh, it, it went all right. I guess you know. <laughs> I, I get criticized too much. You know, nobody did run away. Didn't run away from me. So I guess I did all right. <laughs> Yeah, y'all been doing some um, some really good work out here. It's it's been super motivating, like to 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 see you get up and organize, um, to witness some of your meetings, and we'll be able to go to um, the block party on Friday. Is there something Thursday? No, uh, no, we don't have anything on Thursday. We have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah, we'll, we'll be able yeah. to go to the block party on Friday. Um, yeah, yeah, y'all y'all 
Y'all getting it done. Yeah, well, listen, you know, we feed off each other, you know what I mean? Uh, this is what our movement has to do. You know, we have to be inspired. We each have to inspire each other in order to go forward, in order to push the, the push the agendas. You, know, uh, you guys in, in the Bay uh, uh, Neighborhood Program, you guys are an excellent, excellent example of what it means to build something that is going to be sustaining, you know, uh, substantial to the community. Uh, and particularly in regards to the issues of uh, building decolonization programs, you know, and that's what we're going to try to do here. I begin the process of building decolonization programs. Uh, and my thinking is that if we can build decolonization programs across the country, you know, uh, then create a network of that decolonization program, we'll be setting up the, the foundations for uh, uh, establishing the means for which we can really empower ourselves, you know, uh, become free in, in regards to structural development, institutional development uh, that's based upon the ideas that we can uh, provide for ourselves, you know. Build, build that united front across, you know, from New York to here. Hey, listen, I mean, if we can get if we get to that point, uh, we will have uh, really did something uh, phenomenal. You know, it's, I, I, in my thinking, beyond the Black Panther Party and what they was able to achieve within the six to seven years of their existence, their real existence in power and empowering our community, uh, there's only been one major uh, uh, national organ, organizer, right? Uh, who had uh, had the kind of um, impact? Uh, the uh, it's historic, right? And that would be the great uh, uh, Marcus Mosier Garvey, and his uh, Back to Africa uh, movement, his uh, UNIA, um United Negro Improvement Association, and that organization. What he tried to, and uh, what he did accomplish, and the reason why he became a threat to the system was that he's able to galvanize an idea. Uh, amongst black people in not only the United States, but in Africa and uh, in uh, Europe uh, and throughout the Caribbean and Latin America. You know, uh, no organization, to my knowledge, right, has created that kind of um, a national and international uh, uh, determination amongst black people. And that's one of the reasons why he had to be destroyed. Uh, the movement had to be uh, diminished, you know, as a result of his capacity to really challenge the uh, the idea of uh, white supremacy, right, and empowering black people uh, towards their own idea of black freedom. Yeah, so we're making those errors. We're gonna we're gonna make this happen. You know, slowly but surely, uh, we're gonna build decolonization programs uh, across the country. You know, whatever name they may come under. Hopefully, at some point in time, uh, we'll be able to um, build them into a united front, a national united front. You know, uh, maybe if it not be falling out front for liberation of the African nation or some other um, named entity, uh, the, the golden objectives have to be the same as as has been been promoted by front for the liberation of the African nation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boss, you want to tell the listeners, you know, what we've been doing in terms of people's programs for for Black August, in terms of events and, and ways we've stepped up in our organizing. I mean, I think you know, launching the health clinic, getting that going. Um, that's a huge, a huge win in terms of uh, not only serving the people, but um, showing the propaganda of it too. Showing out and pointing out the contradictions. Right? We, City of Oakland, spends millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars every month on the police, and the people don't have health care. You know, so I think that's that's a big, uh, big accomplishment that's going to happen this month is having that truck in the field, uh, having doctors, having having nurses. Um, what else we been doing? We've been doing so much. I can only think about the, the past two weeks. When do we do the the power, <clears throat> Michaela? Did we talk about Acorn Day on there? Oh yeah, we did Acorn Day. You should talk about Acorn Day. We did. Yeah. Uh, 
And so And give some history about Acorn and, and where it's at yeah, for, for people not yeah. familiar with uh with Oakland. Acorn is uh the projects in West Oakland, uh the only projects of, of, of Oakland. But um they're they're a, they're a place that's that's really I would say cut off from the re- the rest of the city in mm-hmm. terms of resources. Um they don't have any grocery stores down there. And folks would like to say that since Mandela Grocery is on seventh, which is, you know, down the street from the actual projects that that's they a grocery store, but people who say that aren't aware of like gang wars. Mm. Um You so, stepping into a whole different neighborhood going yeah, down there. A, it's a whole different neighborhood. And so I would say they're they're a place that's cut off from resources, um, in terms of no after school programs for the kids over there. It's a bunch of kids that, that stay over there, as you can see from us being over there. Mm. Um, it's a food desert. Um, what's the nearest hospital? Maybe Highland. 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 Um, and then I think about schools. Um, Only high school. What high schools over there? A so bunch Mac. of schools. Well, Mac. Yeah, Mac, which, Mac. Is, which is also another arrival neighborhood, right? Yeah. And so they don't have any schools. Um, they don't have any grocery stores. Mm. And community centers closed yeah, down. The community center is, is closed down. And of course, you know, folks like to chalk it up to COVID, but I would have to assume, you know, if we look at the history of anti-blackness um, and discrimination against the poor in that area, mm-hmm. I, I can't chalk it up to, to COVID. Yeah. And so, you know, we trying to build with the young folks, young folks over there. Definitely want to shout out Lingo and Sean for allowing us to, to work with them. And, you know, they had their hood day, um, which is 18 to celebrate the blocks from, you know, 8th to 10th street. Um, and so, you know, we brought in backpacks um, and then we were also able to bring in the Sinaloa taco truck. And, you know, it's not, it's not, I think what people forget about this is I think people will look at this as charity and it's not charity because the cats over there that have found, found a way to, to survive by any means necessary, they do a good job of taking care of their community. Cool. But I think um, like all other folks, you know, it, it is the, the job of the city to pour resources into them. And so we want to show that like, you know, they ain't got to do it all on their own. And that, you know, people if we gonna pour about, resources right back into them as yeah, well. Yeah, if we're talking mean? about, you know, free the people, free the land, mm-hmm. uh, the total liberation and unification of, of all Africans, you know, them as the people we talking about. And so mm-hmm. we trying to build with them. Hopefully that's the first of, of just a few programs. You know, this Friday is going to be the first time we take groceries into the projects. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another, um, Really big step in, in the right direction in terms of nation building. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had the grocery program going this whole month. Uh, Sunday's program feeding the houses every month or every week. You know, so continuing to build those decolonization programs this month and really deepening our commitment. You know, a lot of people on core is uh, fasting for the first time. You know, giving up alcohol, giving up drugs or weed, if you want to call that a drug. <laughs> Some people just say it is. Some people say it isn't. You know, I'll, I'll, don't discriminate. I ain't a smoker myself, but definitely. Uh, Proud of proud of folks for you know deepening their commitment this month. You know what I mean. That, that's that's something that we got to do every month. You know yeah. what I mean. But this month as a as a place to really refocus. You know I think uh, even for me and you, us deepening our commitment um, and like reading what was it on liberalism or combating liberalism. combating liberalism. You know what I would mean? say that's and one like, of the biggest. That's one of my yeah. biggest yeah. things for Black August that I'm taking away is like, all right, me I, I got to always put everything about the politic and command within the organization and not have. Uh, peace for the sake of well, unity. Explain that. Explain that to you to, uh, to your your listening and, and and viewing audience. What does it mean to me to keep politics in command? Well, how, how do you translate that? It's at no at no at any juncture you never waver. It's that you always keep the ideologies in 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 place, right? Like you don't. So like let's say for example we believe in scientific socialism. If boss is coming with something that ain't scientific, I can't 
be afraid he can't not to call him my out friend. on it just because you know, just, this you my know boy, we co like, here. Yeah. You know, I, I, I got to stand on that. Like, hey, fam, your your analysis is off. Okay, you know what I'm saying. Okay, or if we talk about being revolutionaries. You know, we can never waver. And if somebody's wavering, we got to say, yo, you being liberal. Okay. That's keeping the politics in command. Keeping politics in command. You know, I, I remember a um, um, a statement made by Asada Shakur, right? Uh, and uh, one of the statements she made, uh, particularly she was addressing uh, uh, women, uh, feminists, and in uh, the movement. And she said, she told women, particularly uh, uh, women in the party, she said, uh, uh, if you're a revolutionary, you cannot have a non-revolutionary man, you know? Uh, that you, if you're gonna be a revolutionary, then your partner has also have to be revolutionary, and in that instance, you're developing a relationship that's based upon revolutionary, keeping politics in command. Um, and it's important for us to understand that our relationship that we have with one another, uh, you know, whether it be a personal relationship or you know association by, by virtue of uh, the circumstance for which we uh, are surviving in, uh, we have to make sure that those relationships is based upon the struggle. It's based upon how we uh, reinforce the idea that we are, in, in fact, uh, uh, what I used to term either emancipators, abolitionists, or liberators, right? And uh, in deciding who, those kind of relationships, it builds character, right? It builds our personality and understanding the, 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 the sacrifice that we, not only the sacrifice that we're making, uh, but also the, the pleasure in being able to provide the kind of programs that you are providing decolonization programs for our people, you know, to be able to empower our people. And and keeping those politics politics in command, fighting against liberalism, right? How do, the proper way of dealing with contradictions is extremely important. And those contradictions also lends to your personal relationships that you have with your partner, you know. Uh, how do you resolve those contradictions? Because you cannot allow those contradictions to hinder your capacity to engage in movement. And that's the reason why, uh, one of the reasons why that Assad made that point very clear. Uh, uh, that um, whoever your partner is, if they're not about the, about the politics, if they ain't about the, the struggle, then how are you going to be able to trust them? How are you going to be able to have that kind of uh, emotional bond with them when they don't see the vision? They don't, they're, they're not looking at the world in the same eyes in which you're looking at the world. You know? uh, so uh, that is also part of the process of keeping politics in command. Yeah. It, it, it goes that deep. It, goes, it, it becomes that internalized. You know, by keeping politics the man, based upon your own personal relationships as well. Yeah. Hey, I feel like that's super important. Otherwise, you know, you can be taking this direction, taking this direction, taking this direction. And if your goal is to free the land and free the people, you always got to be centered in that. Yeah. In every aspect of every aspect of your life. Yeah. You know, that's a fact. That's a fact. I agree. Yeah. The highlight of my Black August has been Cat Mutakin, <laughs> coined famously by me. <laughs> um, <laughs> nah, it's, it's definitely definitely been my camp, highlight too. Yeah. Right, like and it remind me. I'm telling you, it's August just the time for fall camp and football. Like it's just, I'm having flashbacks. Yeah, you <laughs> <ready>. <laughs> I'm playing, like this is literally what you do. You know, you lock in. You cut. You cut out from the outside world. Oh, yeah. We ain't we. If we've been here for, a, I mean, I, I lost track of time when you said, "What have we done this month?" I'm like, I feel like we just been here the whole month. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. we reading, studying, it's uh, having real, conversation, real fall and really, camp vibes, really being able to learn. You know. Downstairs in the, you know, working that, out, working like, out, getting that mention, you know what I mean? <laughs> Eating big ass meals, like I'm telling you, bro. It's like, you know, reloading on your on your it's carbs hot, and protein. Humid out, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I haven't done anything like this since the summer of 2014, my last year of college football. Huh. I'm telling you, like that's hella camaraderie. We just we eating every meal together. We talking, going over the playbook. 
yeah. watching movies is like that's you know that's, yeah. that's what we've been going that's what we've been doing okay. i definitely felt that the um elevation in, in spirits and skills and outlook so i'm t- telling you got you got something going here if you ever you know, want to not keep the politics in command. Start your little Airbnb. revolutionary camp. <laughs> Start your little revolutionary camp. You know exactly how to do it. You, man. You, you well, I, I'm glad. I'm glad to have my cousin here, and and you also <laughs> the Delancey here for because uh, you fam too, and here for in, in, at my at my place in my residence, and uh, and I'm again I am fortunate. I, I feel blessed, you know, to, to have been out in ten months and be able to have this kind of space. You know, for where we can have our comrades come together and just uh, chill for a minute. You know, chill, study, you know, eat, relax, uh, re-energize themselves uh, so they can go back out in the field and get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. We, so, yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying, we, we've been learning a lot. And, uh, you know, I know you say you ain't a, a quote-unquote public speaker, but, you know, I, I've heard... Somebody told me that, you know, you might be having a podcast come out pretty soon. And you're going to be laying down audio and laying down, you know, some true, real uh, revolutionary education that, that points us towards throwing on, that points us towards freeing the land uh, and having true independence and true sovereignty. So, you know, to all our listeners, we're going to post it and y'all better support, like, for real, for real. Otherwise, I'm not. Nah. <laughs> nah, it's important, though, because the biggest thing is I feel like so much... So much that that we learn about um, folks like yourself that that was, you know, a part of the party. Um, you we, we get it through just like books. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's I've never been able to sit down with somebody that I know made the ultimate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've never had that 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 privilege, that opportunity. Well, it's not the ultimate sacrifice. Ultimate sacrifice is being martyred. Yeah. In the, in the who who would have so, made the ultimate sacrifice? Right. Um, you know? we, who has? No, oh, I said oh. you would have made the ultimate sacrifice oh. had it had it, had it gone that way. Yeah, easily, yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah. There's uh, several times that possibility ex- yeah. existed. You know, by the yeah. grace of God. You know, when I say Allah, by the grace of Allah. You know, I was spared uh, for to continue to do the work. You know, uh, it was just was not my time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, and we continue to do the work. You know, I was an organizer before I came into the. Uh, the party, you know, I, I grew up in uh, uh, in a household where my mom uh, was a uh, an activist in the NAACP. She used to drag us around in those marches back in the days, you know, <laughs> and when I was a kid. And uh, and then I became a member, uh, an organizer of the Black Student Union High School, and eventually uh, I uh, came into uh, engaged with the Black Panther Party, and was recruited into the Black Underground. Uh, black Underground, Black uh, Underground became known as the Black Liberation Army. And the Black Liberation Army is, goes through a long tradition, a history of armed struggle, black people armed struggle, from the Reverend, uh, uh, the great Reverend Nat Turner, you know, to the, uh, um, uh, uh, the African Blood Brotherhood, uh, to the Dickens of Defense, you know, to Robert, uh, um, uh, woof, Williams. Robert, Robert Williams, to Robert Williams, you know, uh, and he wrote a book called uh, Negroes with Guns, you know, I had the capacity and willingness to fight against the Klan. And can fight against white supremacy, and so uh, the Black Liberation Army is following that in that tradition in defense of our uh, of our lives of our struggle. You know, you got to remember the Black Panther Party original name was Black Panther Party. What for self defense? For self defense. You know, and so by the origin of its existence uh, and its existence, it had already in, put in this program uh, the Black Panther Party at some point in time. Actually, was rule number six that no Black Panther Party member can join an underground organization except for the Black Liberation Army. So when uh, um, uh, Huey and uh, Bobby uh, put together organ- put together a party, 
uh, they knew that at some point in time, armed struggle would be part of the processes of liberation. And so, uh, yeah, so at the age of uh, late 18, going on 19, I was recruited into the Black Underground, uh, the Black Liberation Army. And um, as a result of that, I did nearly 50 years in prison. Uh, so while I was in prison, I was organizing, you know. In prison, I organized and created uh, several campaigns. Um, first first uh, uh, national newspaper that came out of prisoners called Armed the Spirit. I organized that while I was in San Quentin. I initiated the first uh, petition to the United Nations while I was in prison in uh, San Quentin and carried it up forward when I was paroled from San Quentin and sent to uh, California, sent to New York uh, State Prison System, uh, continued there. Uh, I organized the first uh, national march, well, not the first national march, but a one of the national march in support of political prisoners uh, that resulted in the building of the Jericho Movement. Jericho Movement has been in existence now 21 years, 21 years, uh, fighting for uh, and, and building uh, in, in regards to the existence of, of U.S. political prisoners. You know, the premier organization that supports political prisoners in the United States. We just got some good news about David, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A result of our continuing fight, uh, and certainly uh, David had a lot of support from various other organizations, including Jericho. Uh, David Gilbert, if you know, those who don't know him, uh, David Gilbert um, was a member of the, uh, he first was a founding member of the SDS, a student from Democratic Society. And then he evolved and he came involved with the uh, Weather Underground in the 60s. And as a result of his engagement with Weather Underground, uh, he eventually became involved with a, a group of individuals, uh, was a coalition, I guess you might say, a coalition of uh, black revolutionaries and white revolutionaries, um, and was uh, uh, instrumental, some of them were instrumental in, in getting, uh, uh, freeing Asad uh, uh, Shakur, right? And uh, ultimately, I think it was in 1981, if I remember correctly, uh, they uh, engaged in expropriation, uh, tried to uh, rob a, a Brinks truck. Uh, to support the the underground movement, and unfortunately, it went array, uh, and uh, two individuals were murdered or killed. Uh, a, I think a prison guard and a, and a cop, and a, and a, and a comrade um, was also murdered uh, by the cops, um, and several people was, was arrested, and David was one of them. Um, David received um, uh, seventy five to life sentence, seventy five years to life sentence, and he did not have a weapon. Um, only thing he was a driver. Uh, he was a getaway driver, and that's all. He had no engagement with the law enforcement at all. You know, no direct engagement with law enforcement at all uh, with his expropriation. But they gave him seventy-five years to life. They try to make an example out of this white man, you know, who uh, opposes uh, his white skin privilege, who opposes a uh, white supremacy, who opposes uh, American anti, who opposes American imperialism. You know. And they try to make an example out of him. So uh, recently, after doing 40 years, right, uh, this, sometime this week, uh, he was granted clemency. So now he has the opportunity to go to the pro board and hopefully be released. His, uh, his, uh, his, his wife, uh, Kathy Bodine, was released, I think, 13 years ago. You know, she was also part of the, uh, uh, that, mo- that struggle, that movement. Uh, Seiko Odinga was released, I think, about five years ago. You know, doing a federal and state prison sentence uh, as a result of the Brink, Brink robbery case. And he was released, I think, about five years ago. So in New York State, uh, David was the last 
quote-unquote political prisoner in New York State. And so we have a, a great opportunity uh, to see him being released from prison. And that's people power. People fight and continue to fight for the release of our political prisoners. And so, um, so David hopefully will be released uh, within the next month, maybe two months. Uh, hopefully, let's see what the pro board does. Uh, again, you know, like I said he had 75 years to life. Uh, he did 40, and uh, was given a clemency. And so we'll see that what, what clemency did. He wasn't given a pardon. If he was given a pardon, he'd be released from prison. But it was given clemency. That gave him an opportunity to go to the pro board. Uh, but we still have other comrades in prison. We have uh, Sheikh uh, 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 Imam Jamil Alameen, right, um, who's been in prison. And his story is, is extremely important for the people to understand uh, because he's innocent. You know, he's a person has already uh, confessed to the crime for most of the time over like for the last 21 years, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. you know, and they're still holding them. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Mutulu Shakur, you know, the great acupuncture, a black acupuncture. He started a whole organization for black acupuncture uh, before his arrest. Uh, he is the, the stepfather of Tupac Shakur. Right, everybody who's loved Tupac Shakur should be fighting for his stepdad to be released from prison. Uh, we have, uh, uh, so of course, we have uh, Sunyata Kohli. Uh, Sunyata Kohli is what 84 years old, uh, and uh, now I think many they say he's suffering from dementia. Right, and he was uh, one of the individuals who was uh, arrested at, at the same time that Asada Shakur was arrested. Right, uh, he's been in prison ever since, and he should be released from prison. And there's many, many more. Uh, that we are fighting for Maroon, uh, 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 Russell Schultz. Uh, he's in um, in Pennsylvania, and um, we're trying to get him out because he's dying. He's dying in prison, and we don't want to see another one of our comrades die in prison. Uh, but he has cancer, uh, terminal cancer, and uh, we just tried to make an effort to get him a, a passionate, compassionate release. Uh, the state denied it. You know. Uh, you know, so we're in a fight. We're in a fight to release our political prisons, but we have to uh, build a strong, durable people's movement, you know, to fight for the release of our comrades. Yeah. Yeah, I know when you was down, you was talking about petitioning the United Nations. Um, and now in October, you have the uh, tribunal coming up. Uh, can you talk about, you know, the history of the tribunal, the importance of the tribunal, and, and what people can do to, to support it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's not the first time we had the International Tribunal come to the United States. Uh, the campaign that I launched uh, to the United Nations back in 1977, uh, in 1981, with other organizations, it resulted in the international, uh, uh, international jurists to come to the United States. And they visited uh, many of the uh, comrades inside prison, including Sundiata, including uh, Linda Peltier, uh, one of the great uh, uh, indigenous uh, uh, warrior uh, in the United States. Um, uh, um, and, and other uh, individuals they visited, and they made a determination back then that political prisoners exist in the United States. So, in uh, but there's no remedies, no, never been any remedies as a result of the COINTELPRO war on the movement, on those who have been convicted uh, as COINTELPRO convictions. Uh, there has never been any remedies, although the uh, Church Senate Committee had determined that the acts of the FBI uh, for COINTELPRO were illegal. Right, well, it was unconstitutional, but they never established any remedies for those who were convicted uh, for those COINTEL pro illegal and unconstitutional practices of the FBI and other police forces across the country. Uh, so um, in 2018, I was locked up in uh, 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 Southport Correctional Facility uh, in isolation, 20, 23 hours of lockdown, uh, uh, segregation, 
as a result of me teaching the class in Attica, uh, they didn't like me teaching the class, or they didn't like what I was teaching in the class uh, uh, about the Black Panther Party and the history of struggle in this country. And so they locked me down uh, for four months. Um, and while I was locked down in isolation, I decided it was time to bring the international jurors back to the United States. And so I put out a proposal, sent it to my comrades in uh, a Jericho movement, and uh, Sister uh, Bukhari, Sophia Bukhari, and Baba Herman Ferguson, another individual who has a long history of struggle. He was my elder um, uh, back, in the, back in the days. Uh, uh, came to uh, visit me at, uh, Eastern Correction, at Eastern Correction Facility. No, no, excuse me, not, not Eastern Correction Facility. Whoop, I get my times mixed up. Um, uh, two, no, 2018 uh, was uh, Jihad Abdul Mumet, and members of Jericho Movement came and visited me. Uh, when I talk about Sophia Bukhari and uh, Baba Herman Ferguson, I'm talking about the, the first uh, UN campaign, uh, Jericho moved to Jericho in 1998. That's when they came to visit me. So anyway, 2018, I put out a proposal. Jericho jumped on it and said, yes, we'll do this thing. And uh, we have now come to 2021, and October uh, 22nd to 25th, uh, we will be having the Jericho. We will have an international tribunal. Uh, the international tribunal is that we charge genocides. Uh, we charge genocides again. Um, uh, the uh, international tribunal is, is commemorating the 70th anniversary of when uh, Paul Robeson and um, William Patterson first uh, brought the charges of international brought the charges uh, to the international community, particularly the United Nations of the charge of genocide. That was on uh, December 15th, uh, 1951, two months after my birth. Um, and so we're, again, bringing the issues of uh, uh, we charge genocide. Because the conditions that they argued and fought for back then in 1951 are very similar to the conditions that exist today. And so uh, we have several charges. I want to read these out because I think it's important. I can't keep it all in my head. I got so much in my head right now, it's ridiculous. <laughs> That's how I be feeling. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, the, the, the charges are um, racist police killings of black, brown, and indigenous people, one. Uh, Hyper-incarceration of black, brown, and indigenous people, two. Uh, political incarceration of civil rights, national liberation era revolutionaries and activists, as well as present-day activists. That's three. Four. Uh, environmental racism and its impact on black, brown, and indigenous people. Five, public health racism and disparities and its traumatic impact on black, brown, and indigenous people. And six, genocide, black, brown, and indigenous people as a result of historic and systemic charges of all of the above. If you look at all these charges cumulatively, right, we note that they diminishes the capacity from which black, brown, and indigenous people have been be able to prosper and survive in this country. And so we are um, bringing these charges to the international community, uh, having the international jurors come to the United States. Uh, right now we have the venue at the uh, Malcolm X uh, Betty Shabazz Center uh, for the tribunal. Uh, we have judges, nine judges, uh, representing the international community who are listening to the testimony uh, and documents uh, that we will be presenting. Uh, Sister uh, Nikichi Taifa will be the main, uh, and we use the term loosely, but it is, nonetheless, it is the term prosecutor, prosecuting the United States on the issues of, uh, of genocides. Uh, and then, of course, we'll be demanding the release of our political prisoners. And so um, this is going to be historic. 
right? This is going to be an opportunity for us to not only uh, raise the issues of, uh, of um, uh, our condition inside the United States uh, in, in respect to the issues of genocides, but also create the international solidarity with our movement, you know, with our fight here in the United States. And if we can build that dynamic uh, for the world will understand what our fight is here in the United States, then I think we will create the kind of uh, uh, conditions by which when we engage in struggle uh, uh, here in the United States, that we have the kind of support and backing uh, between progressive forces in the international arena as well. Yeah, can, can you tell the listeners why this specific charge of genocide is so important in terms of you know the role that it's playing in understanding like the dialectics of revolution? Yeah, I mean... Well, all people have the right to fight for the for their national liberation and independence, I, their their uh, their national identity. That's a right. That, that's a right. That's a human right. And so we are raising the question that this is in fact a human rights. Uh, but what what is also important is understand what what is genocide. You know how does that function? How does it operate? I'm going to read from from my book. Um, uh, we are all liberators. Why I made a a point of raising this question and raising this issue. Uh, so we have a, a, a fine understanding of what it is, what we, what charges that we're making, and why we're making these charges. Uh, let me see if I can find a page. I thought I had it marked here. Um, I marked here somewhere. Uh, bear with me. Um, uh, yeah. And so we, what is more, more, what is as important in terms of the charge of genocide? is that the United States is guilty of um, engaging in this particular practice. Um, here we go. The International Convention on the Prevention of Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. Here the International Court states in Article 2, in the present convention, genocide means any of the following acts committed with the intent to destroy in whole or in part the national, ethnic, racial, or religious group, such as one, killing members of the group. We know they've been killing us. Right, B, causing serious bodily and mental harm to members of the group. We know we have suffered on those, on those occasions, on all those occasions, uh, issues. Uh, C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. Right, and that's part what really gets me. Um, uh, because if we just look at the issues of mass incarceration is one of the charges that we raise, hyper-incarceration. We know that they're sending uh, our young people to prison at an early age at an early age, and keeping them in prison 20, 30, 40, 50 years, all right? And those are their, their most productive years uh, to reproduce, right? And so they're preventing our reproduction in that level, uh, on that degree. If you, if you even just call, uh, uh, ask Alexa, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. Just ask Alexa, uh, what is the population of black people in the United States? And they will say something like 13%. It's been 13% for the last 50 years, right? In terms of our population in the United States, we have not grown. From, from 11 to 13%, we have not grown in 50 years, right? That's in whole and in part, destruction of a people, right? Uh, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. We know that they've been sterilizing our women. Uh, we know that there's a history of sterilizing, especially uh, Latina, Latina ex uh, women, uh, the Puerto Ricans. They have gone through uh, that. Uh, there's a, 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 an argument right now in California state prison system where they were sterilizing uh, uh, the women inside California, particularly black and Latina women in uh, New York, uh, in California state prison system, sterilizing women against their consent, right? Not giving the consent to be sterilized. Right? The, the idea of eugenics continues today, 
in regards to uh, killing, uh, uh, preventing the birth uh, of, of black and brown and indigenous people. And uh, uh, lastly, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. We know they've been doing that as well, right? Uh, a lot of that is uh, uh, sending our babies to foster care, right? And, and, and those kind of things across the country, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's epidemic in the way that they are, we are being treated in, in conditions that amounts to genocide. Now, Article 3 further states that the following shall be punishable. Genocides can be punishable, right? Genocides. Two, conspiracy to commit genocides. Three, direct and public incitement to commit genocides. Direct and public incitement to commit genocides. I'm going to go back to that in a minute, right? And att attempt to commit genocides and the complicity in genocides. Uh, and so when we look at, for instance, uh, conditions like what happened in Tulsa, right, and various other uh, uh, cities that were block controlled or, or areas of block controlled and how white people rioted it, rioted against black people, right, murdered black people. Uh, well, we see those, those uh, the hanging trees, you know, where they're celebrating uh, the, the, the lynching of black people. You know, uh, we uh, not only have a, a traumatic experience for black people, and I was talking about trauma, traumatizing black people, right, but it also indicates to how it reinforces the idea of uh, a white supremacy, you know, and devalues and diminishes, dehumanizes our black lives. All right. And so uh, when we look at the historically and the cumulative value, or cumulative conditions from which uh, um, uh, 1951, uh, the great Paul Robeson and William Patterson uh, uh, brought, the art, brought the charge of We Charge Genocide United Nations, uh, we feel that today, uh, particularly with state terrorism, uh, state police terrorism and the killing of the black people, whole heart. Uh, uh, wholesale killing of black people across this country uh, that is need we need to take this discharge of genocides to the United Nations to the international community once again. That's what we're doing. October 22nd to the 25th, the International Tribunal of 2021 will be held in New York City. It is historic and every, every progressive organization and individual should endorse and support it. You can go to spirit of, uh, spiritofmandela.org and learn more about it. Also, you can endorse it too, so you know people can get funds to uh, for for the programming. You know what I mean. So go ahead and endorse it. Hella Black has endorsed it. People's Programs has endorsed it. So you should too. <laughs> if you fuck with Hella Black, if you fuck with People's Programs. You need to be fucking with the tribunal. <laughs> if you fuck with the people, just generally, if you fuck with the people, fuck with the tribunal. So we gonna we gonna put the uh, link in the episode description in the uh, YouTube and whatnot. So make sure y'all tap in. Um, so why do you think that the tribunal is important, you know, for the new African independence movement as well as um, getting involved in the international arena? Uh, why, why do we see that as important, you know, for uh, Republican New Africa? Well, I think I think it's important on, on several several counts, and I, I want to make that transition uh, by um, sharing my thinking in regards to the issues of the Black Lives Matter. Right, Black Lives Matter is essentially a a a social consciousness movement. It is not a movement movement, right? It's a social consciousness trend for the most part, right? And it came out of by virtue of the idea that uh, black people's lives have been so dehumanized and, and, and diminished to the point that it was necessary for us to even come up with the idea of uh, the, the value of, of black lives, you know, that we have to raise that question. And I remember back in 1968 uh, when they had the uh, sanitation workers strike 
uh, right before the, the, the killing of the assassination of Dr. King, the sanitation workers had to walk around with a placard, body placard, that says that I am a man. Why? Why would it be necessary for black people, black men, to even have to announce that, to wear a placard, to say, identify themselves that I am a man? Right? And it goes, it lends to, to what degree from which we have suffered as a result of white supremacy in this country. And so, for us, the charge of genocide uh, today lends to the idea that perhaps it is time for us to really consider um, uh, divorcing ourselves uh, from the realities, right, of white supremacy and Americanism, right, as 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 uh, Elhaj Malik Shabazz, Malcolm X used to call it, Americanism. Um, and so, uh, for us, uh, the black uh, the the International Tribunal is a means by which we can begin to uh, build uh, towards the, uh, the goals of creating an alternative narrative uh, to the corporate uh, Democratic Republican Party. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be moving towards uh, uh, ultimately in 2022 is building what we call the People's Senate. That's what Jihad Abdul Movement has called it. Uh, we'll be moving towards building a People's Senate. Uh, we want to create a new narrative, a third voice right, of liberation and independence. And for me, for me, part of that third voice is also building what I call Froley Now, or Front for the Liberation of the African Nation. Uh, I think it is in time that we really consider uh, our own independence, uh, moving towards these to the conditions from which we can uh, become an independent people. Um, if you look at what happened on January 6th, right, when the white supremacists stormed Congress, right, uh, try to take over Congress to nullify uh, the, the process of what they call a democratic process of voting, which is a sham. Uh, <laughs> corporate uh, election. Huh? Yeah, corporate election, exactly. Two corporate parties, uh, Democratic <laughs> or Republican, they're both the same. One called, one, uh, uh, as Hodgman says, one called the wolf and one called the fox. <laughs> you know, uh, they both belong to the canine family. And so when we understand, <laughs> understand that, um, we know that we have to begin to divorce ourselves from each of those parties because they don't necessarily work in our best interest. Uh, the interests of black people or poor people, uh, the best interests of brown people and indigenous people in this country. And so we have to create a, a new, uh, uh, an alternative. But at any rate, on, on, on January 6th, they announced what, they, what they're about, the white supremacists. Mm-hmm. Right? They had a whole coordinated attack. Coordinated. It wasn't the spur of the moment. No, it, was no, it, was it was coordinated and it was attack. organized. And, and we know that it was 70 million uh, people voted for Trump you know, and, and avowed white supremacists. 70 million people across this country. And I can imagine there's probably 30 million who are silent. You know, that's one-third of the entire population of the United States. And so given that reality, uh, they're not going to disappear, right? And we have to be prepared uh, in our future goals for our babies, right, uh, to think about uh, excising ourselves uh, from this reality. You know, we have fought for too long trying to become part of something that don't want us. Right, be part of America that has never, has never worked in the best interests of black people. And so we have to begin to start thinking um, uh, in terms of how are we going to build something uh, substantial uh, for our own liberation and independence. Now, why is that foreign? Is that a foreign idea? Why can it be a foreign idea? We have sovereign nations in the United States, right? Unfortunately, they're not functioning and operating as their full capacity, but Native Americans, many of them are sovereign nations, right? So saying that there is no sovereign nation in the United States is, is, is ridiculous, right? 
And so for us, in terms of international law, right, there's international law that states that we can, in fact, move towards building our own nationality and our own nation, Mm -hmm. right? And so we are using international law as the premise on which we can build towards independence. Uh, Frolinan, Front for Liberation of the African Nation, uh, can be a tool, an organizing tool to make that happen. Um, As some may know, many may not, in 1968, 500 uh, revolutionary nationalists, black nationalists came together and they decided they're going to move to our understanding that the five five states in the United States called the Black Belt States, uh, uh, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana, there's the Black Belt where the majority of black people still reside in the United States. And where black people is naturally, you know, migrating back to them. Yeah, I might back to them. In fact, you have one... Uh, Bourgeoisie, Negro, bourgeoisie, <laughs> black person, uh, uh, by the name of um, Charles, yeah, Charles Blow or something. No, no, no. Uh, was it Charles Blow? Yeah, Charles, yeah, Charles Blow, uh, Blow, who wrote a book uh, uh, that emphasized the idea of the exodus back to uh, to the black belt. But not with the idea of sovereignty. And not with the idea of sovereignty. <laughs> the idea of probably black capitalism. Right, right. Well, so that's the reason why I say you know pseudo. Uh, uh, bourgeois, uh, but the idea that he thinks that we need to do so, and raising that within his circle of people, you know, uh, we need to give a, a narrative to that idea, you know, of independence. Uh, so it is not a far-fetched idea that we need to return back to the to the Black Belt South and take it over, right? Take it over, right? Build uh, the institution, like I say, decolonization programs that lends to the idea of empower, empowering ourselves. Uh, 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 for for liberation and independence, right? I have a theory, of course. It's part of my book. We are own liberators, uh, called Three Phase Theory for National Independence, and the Three Phase Theory of National Independence states in, in, uh, very succinctly uh, that um, the first phase is is a uh, 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 class struggle for national unity. Right? We have to engage in class struggle uh, because the capitalist system creates classes. It creates divisions, especially right. if we're looking in like Atlanta right now, where you have a, a, a you feel me? A, <laughs> you have a black mayor. You got black cops everywhere. I know the first time I was in Atlanta, I was like, "Bro, what? Yeah. All these black police officers?" Yeah, and people yeah, act like it's like, studio. "Oh, we, we free black Mecca, whatever they want to call it." And like, yeah. nah. But that's why class struggle. Yeah, so we have to engage in class struggle. Class struggle for national unity, and if we can build this kind of national unity and start building the kind of decolonization decolonization programs across the country. Uh, and build these uh, these institutions of self empowerment, uh, then naturally we can see the idea of self government, right? So it's class struggle for national unity, national unity for self government, right? We start creating the institutions where we are in fact control of our own resources and uh, the capacity for which we can build uh, for our own degrees of sovereignty. And as we build those kinds of institutions, uh, independent institutions, uh, we'll be building the, towards the idea of naturally. Uh, the natural goal and objective is uh, self-government uh, for national independence. Right, so it's a three-part process, right? and each process lends to greater empowerment and the liberating of our minds. So we liberate our bodies, right? Then liberate the land. Liberate the land, free the land. So with that, we also need cadres, you know, and organizations to be able to uh, to build decolonization programs. So we have different organizations, you know, in Oakland to to L.A. to Rochester, right? You know what I mean. So uh, can you talk about the importance of, of building cadres um, and building decolonization programs to to build that process that you're talking about? Yeah, um, 
naturally, uh, Froland is, is it's a two part. It's a two tiered or two structured organization. Um, the cadre development aspect of it is to get in where you fit in, right? Uh, for those who are like-minded individuals who understand the necessity for organization, uh, for self-empowerment, uh, that we will build the, inst- the kind of uh, uh, grassroots organizing across the country, as what you guys are doing in, in the Bay Area, uh, cadre development, cadre uh, 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 building. And what it does, what cadre building does, it, it creates the kind of uh, um, uh, fallback um, organizational structure where you know that there are groups of individuals in, in the community or function in the capacity for which uh, they are promoting and propagating the idea of liberation and, and revolution, revolution and liberation. Uh, and so cadres, uh, you know, it can be small groups, uh, individuals, 10, 15, you know, 5, 10, 15 uh, group of people. But they're, they're solid in the understanding of their purpose, right? And it don't take a few people. Uh, to really make things happen. And so we know that uh, in terms of security and the need to organize something substantial and knowing that we will we'll always be under attack as we have, always have been, it is important that we have a durable uh, uh, group of individuals, uh, purposeful, intentional, deliberate uh, in their organizing for liberation. So that's cadre development. And we strain these cadres together. We build these cadres together into a capacity from which we have an organization. Uh, it may not be an organization, you know, a formal organization in, 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 in uh, structure, right? but it would be a formal organization in, in mind, in thinking, and in, in identity, right? which is extremely important. Uh, as we grow, as we grow, then we can start begin, begin to, uh, building autonomous regions, right, uh, liberated territory, and build the kind of front organization. Now we're building structure, right, trying to build a, a, a national front organization, what we call Front for Liberation of the African Nation, uh, and have the capacity to really engage uh, our opposition, right, our opposition, white supremacist opposition, capitalist opposition, uh, for our liberation and freedom, so we have to begin the process of beginning as, as as minimum as minimum as a cadre, right? And as we do so, we can build uh, into the kind of organization that is solid, that is strong, uh, and that understands the the, the essay, purposeful, intentional, and deliberate. And one major takeaway I get um, from we are on liberators is, is that the structure, of course, but also the discipline. That is needed to be, you know, in a cadre, which I think when I read that and trying to apply it to my life, that's it's made my life better. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's made me sharper. It's made me more smart. It's made me a better organizer sure. you know, as I've made that commitment to, to myself, but also to my organization and also the people. Right, um, so can you talk about the importance of, of discipline within in cadre organizations? Wow. Um, discipline has to be internalized, right? Uh, I already made, made made one point in regards to what uh, a lesson from Asada Shakur, uh, how to internalize your your working relationships with, with people that you are engaging with, right? But discipline is basically that, right? It is uh, being purposeful, being intentional, uh, uh, and uh, uh, being deliberate, right? In regards to who you are, identifying who you are, and sticking to that, having the discipline to be able to challenge yourself as well as challenge the, the comrades around you, right, in regards to their own capacity uh, to engage in struggle. We have to identify our weaknesses and uh, uh, um, diminish our weaknesses and build up on our strengths, right? 
Uh, that goes to the issues of criticism, self-criticism, and how that plays a part. But discipline is that you adhere to what we said before, right? Politics and command, right? When you keep the politics and command, then you are disciplined. Yeah, 1,000%. Now, it's important uh, because I, I think what any cadre should be thinking of is that it's bigger. What the individual should start to think of that is bigger than the individual, then the cadre should understand that it's bigger than the cadre if you're talking about a movement, right? Absolutely. Like We all got to be strong. We all got to be able to contribute in the ways that we need to contribute. We need to have strong and solid decolonization programs we need to have a firm and solid and deep understanding of the of the ideologies and we need to have a firm understanding of the processes to mm -hmm. revolution into building for all in on because if we have 50 cadres in 50 cities oh, yeah. all with similar mindset oh yeah you feel me yeah. even if, it, if it's 20 people dedicated in each cadre yeah. you you got a uh, ability to really fight and advocate for independence right. through your daily actions as an organization as a person there's one chapter in the book of real liberators called commitment is key right and so in terms of actual idea of discipline one has to be committed right and i, I just want to read one one couple of paragraphs on this uh this idea of, of commitment right pages like 158 well, yeah maybe? one page 158 yeah. exactly <laughs> Yeah, you I, had got to, it. I had you to study that thing. You, know. <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> a boy encyclopedia with it. <laughs> make sure y'all, sure uh, if you got the book, it's on page 158. It tap tap in with the Kindle. Yeah. You know, there's a new version coming soon. I heard. I don't know. But uh, hopefully it will be. All right. But commitment is key. And it says against this background, and what I was talking earlier, it should be clear that the first step of any group of people seeking to build a national liberation front and a revolutionary cadre organization must be the decision to each individual in the group to commit himself or herself to a collective protracted struggle and dialectically, a dialectical developing relationship with the revolutionary social forces, the oppressed masses. All right? That's a commitment. The group must contain those who are convinced of the need for revolutionary social change and who, out of sober reflection, right, of the concrete experiences of the recent past, have become convinced that spontaneous rebellions, I don't understand saying what I'm saying here, spontaneous rebellions, revolts, and confrontations, no matter how many or how spectacular, lead not to revolution, but to despair and confusion, unless an organized group takes the lead and is ready to make this commitment out of their own volition, out of their own personal volition. So over the years, we have seen uh, our people uh, engage in insurrections. Right, uh, they respond episodically uh, to like to police killings, as an example. Right, and those and rightfully so, for sure. Oh, yeah. rightfully so, but it's it's emotional response, right? And uh, it is it is a response. It is not revolutionary actions. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. and we got to understand that. Right, and so for those who have taken uh, understanding of that, right, they have to make a commitment uh, to turn that that energy, right, those spontaneous revolts. Uh, those insurrections and turn them into a movement uh, and build organizations out of that, right? And so that's what we're talking about here when I say key, uh, commitment is the key, that we just don't respond episodically to different instances and, and circumstances, but that we seek to uh, uh, motivate people, inspire people uh, towards organization, to or towards organization and building those kind of organizations that would be sustainable and uh, raising consciousness and building that consciousness out into a mobilization. Yeah, and that's right? why 
political education is so important because I think even early on in my political education, mm-hmm. I was responsive or reactionary in some ways how I felt. Um, where I'm just following each protest to protest to protest. But yeah. now I'm like, as I became, edu- became educated, I think I read uh, To Die for the People. I'm like, all right, now we actually have to build programs that serve the people. Yes. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of times we, what we saw this past summer is a lot of mobilization, but we need to turn that mobilization into organization as, as a Kwame Trace. Very good point. Right, and then turning that organization, this is an example, building that cadre, right? right. Building that decolonization programs. That's how you... In my mind, that's how you make it practical. Absolutely you know what I mean? Right. Even if it's two people. Yeah. I think one thing you said earlier was like, oh, it could be a small amount of people. Yeah. I think people overlook that sometimes. It's like, oh, we need all these people. It's like, yeah, the masses will move. But if we become organized and build those cadres, we'll, we're going to move the masses. Yeah, that's, you know? that's a fact. And that is that is the idea that we should be organizing moving towards. You know, and it, it is a symbiotic relationship between the organizers and the organized, Right. Uh, and so if we understand that relationship that we have with the people, then we know that we have to be in and amongst the people. We have to understand that people are the motive force in creating history. People are the motive force in creating history. And if, they under- if we understand that, then we know that our relationship with the people is extremely important. You know, Because there cannot be history, cannot be a, a movement building without engaging the people. Right? And having them understanding that we are operating and working in their best interest and that they are engaging in the struggle in their best interest and the interests of their children, the generations that come, come after. So uh, commitment is the key, and we need to be able to have that kind of understanding of why we're involved in the struggle in the first place. Right? Uh, what is the main focus either individually uh, for that kind of commitment is love for your people. But right. if you ain't got love for yourself and you don't got love for your people, then you're in the wrong you're in the wrong uh, uh, arena, right? Uh, of struggle. Right. But love for your people and love love for yourself first, right? Uh, you gotta love yourself, right, in order to be able to have the kind of uh, uh, sacrificing love uh, for your people. You know, yeah. Can I end it with a quote? All right. This is a quote from you. I don't know if you remember this, but I'm gonna go ahead. From who? It's from you. If people do not decide to take responsibility For the type of society they want to live in Then they shouldn't complain about their oppression Mm. Free the people Free the land We are all liberators Episode 108 Hella black We got some push ups to do (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Mr. (laughs) Keith How you feel? That was fine Solid That was fine